Who is to blame for John Rahm not playing Sunday and most likely winning the Memorial? Is it the PGA Tour? Is it the CDC? Or is it just simply John Rahm for not getting his COVID vaccine? Welcome in to Honda Classic Live. It is our uh, Memorial Review and what a crazy weekend it was. And our U.S. Open Preview on this Saturday morning. I'm Ken Levicka. So glad you are with us. And for the next hour, it's all golf. In fact, it's the only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. In mere minutes, we'll be joined by Sean Fairholm of Global Golf Post. GlobalGolfPost.com. He is our golf insider, also executive director of the Honda Classic. Ken Kennerly will hang with us as well. We are jam-packed, so let's get right into our opening drive. And the opening drive is brought to you by Tire Kingdom. As always, so many locations in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. You are always within shouting distance of a tire kingdom and here in the month of june there are deals at tire kingdom and they are trying to get you out on the road they are trying to make sure that your tires are fresh trying to make sure that everything you need with your automobile is kosher it's the summer savings event at tire kingdom going on now get a mastercard prepaid card for up to a hundred dollars when you buy four select tires and get them installed save big on all your brands like bf goodrich continental and and more. Plus, use your Tire Kingdom credit card. You'll get a $50 prepaid card on qualifying purchases of $500 or more. Hey, Tire Kingdom has all you need. Summer road trip season. We are here. Make sure your vehicle's ready to hit the open road. Whether you need new tires and oil change, new brakes, wiper blades, or an inspection, schedule an appointment at Tire Kingdom today. Their convenient hours and locations make it easy to get the services you need. They've always got great deals on the top tire brands. Go to Tire TireKingdom.com. Schedule an appointment. Curbside service. That's TireKingdom. TireKingdom.com. Before we discuss John Rahm as we get into the opening drive, I want to make sure that I give a ton of congratulations. I mean a massive amount of congratulations to the Honda Classic. We have just concluded Honda Classic Cares Week and Ken Kennerly has discussed it often on this show, the executive director of the Honda Classic. The Honda Classic is way more than a golf tournament. The Honda Classic is also a charitable arm. It is really in Palm Beach County a charitable core. It is one of the biggest charitable organizations that we have in all of South Florida. That's really its main purpose. And then, oh yeah, that golf tournament happens once a year. You would think that because of the pandemic and because of the fact that the Honda Classic was just a a minute presence fan-wise of what it usually is and uh, corporate activity wise that this would have been a rough year to raise money for Honda Classic Cares and to spread it amongst all of the organizations that it traditionally gives money to on an annual basis, but that ends up being not the case, not even close to the case. In fact, Honda Classic and the Honda Classic Cares Initiative, $5.1 million it raised during 2020, and so much money that it's able to give that to 100 philanthropic organizations throughout South Florida, not to mention a $1.2 million grant to the Nicholas Children's Hospital Foundation. Unbelievable job. Congratulations to Ken Kennerly, Executive Director, Andrew George, Tournament Director, and everyone at the Honda Classic for, in a pandemic, putting together the second largest dollar amount that Honda Classic Cares has ever raised. It's truly stunning. It's absolutely amazing. And we feel great here at ESPN 106.3 for all of our friends at the Honda Classic and what they've done with Honda Classic Cares. Again, Honda Classic Cares Week has just concluded with all of the money given to the respective organizations. And one more time, the tale of the tape, the second highest total raised ever with Honda Classic Cares, $5.1 million spread amongst 100 different philanthropic organizations in South Florida and a $1.2 million grant to the Nicholas Children's Hospital Foundation. Ken Kennerly does a great job. All of the folks at the Honda Classic do a great job. This is above and beyond. An exceptional job. Congratulations, Honda Classic and Ken Kennerly. will jump on later in the show to talk about it and give us a little bit more detail. Now, 
for all the goings-ons that happened at Mirfield and the Memorial last weekend. John Rahm had a six-shot lead in the third round at Mirfield. Uh, he was going to walk off the course on Saturday, running away with the tournament. But as he got off of the 18th green, he was approached by a PGA Tour official, and he was given bad news. He had tested positive for COVID-19 and had to withdraw from the memorial with a massive lead going into Sunday. The agony on his face, you could see it on national television, and there was backlash, as there always is, when discussions of COVID-19 come up in this country. Uh, and uh, there were questions about why can't the PGA Tour have him, have him play by himself on Sunday? Uh, why is the CDC and the protocols making John Rahm withdraw from this tournament. I mean, it was it was total blame game. It was complete defense of John Rahm. But you have to focus on John Rahm for a second, too. Because John Rahm has had ample opportunity to get vaccinated for COVID-19. On the PGA Tour, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer have to test for COVID-19, nor do you get caught up in any sort of contact tracing when it comes to COVID-19. So in short, it means if you're fully vaccinated, you're playing on the PGA Tour. There is no threat to your potential in a tournament, to your competitiveness in a tournament, to your availability in a tournament if you're fully vaccinated. But John Rahm, earlier last week, came in contact with someone who had tested COVID positive, then decided to get his first vaccine, his first shot, and clearly that's not enough, and clearly that contact resulted in him becoming COVID positive as well. And so when I talked about this Monday on Ken Levick Live, my uh, daily radio show weekdays at noon here on ESPN 106.3, I had to make the point that, yeah, you can be upset for John Rahm, but you also have to understand that you need to put blame on John Rahm as well. So what it sounded like Monday on Ken Levick Live. So Saturday at the Memorial, uh, John Rahm had a five-shot lead as he came off the course on 18, and then he was told something just off the green and put his head in his hands, bent to the earth, and this is how it sounded with Jim Nance on CBS. Somebody just gave John some news. have no idea, folks. We have no idea. We just passed along some information, and you can see just instant devastation. It turns out that John Rahm had tested positive for COVID-19, and he had to withdraw from Yikes. the tournament with a five-shot lead, meaning going into Sunday, it was a completely new tournament because the leader, by a lot, was out. And he was up there, yeah, was it five or six? I know he was at minus 18 at one point. They were at, at one point, 12. he was six under. Yeah. And but it was like a pack at minus twelve. So all of a sudden, the tournament became a bad tournament. Absolutely, it got wide open. And so uh, I think the PGA Tour probably could have avoided telling John Rahm right as he walked off the green. Though I suppose for safety purposes, you want to tell him as as early as possible. Oh, didn't they tell him on on eighteen though? I, no, they told him he found out for the first time as he walked off the green. Like for but done for the day. No. Yeah. He, well, he was done like. You think they knew and let him finish out his yeah, round? Yeah, they did. They knew, and they let him finish his That's round. Then saying. they told him. Then why not just wait till he walks inside if you're already letting him finish off his yeah. round? At that point, I mean, that's a good question. Unless they're worried that he might be in front of people, do a post-match interview before he actually goes inside and exposes someone else potentially to COVID-19. <laughs> they should have the person who told them walk out in a hazmat suit and walk then up we would have known. and tell him. You know what I mean? Then they we would have known. They let someone walk up and tell him? So eh. that... To me, they probably could have done a little more private than the, how they did it, and he wore his expressions uh, on his sleeve uh, totally in that spot. But there was a lot of, well, why can't John Rahm just play Sunday? Why does he have to withdraw? Why can't he play by himself? Why can't he just make sure he's socially distanced and masked? And you want to know why? It's because that's the rules. 
okay? The PGA Tour did not have to let John Rahm play Sunday because he had the lead. It was nothing that happened to John Rahm on Saturday was unfair because the PGA Tour, and this has been the case for quite some time now, if you were fully vaccinated for COVID-19 and all players uh, are obviously eligible now to become vaccinated, John Rahm lives in Arizona where his age group was able to get vaccinated starting March 24th. But if you're fully vaccinated on PGA on the PGA Tour, you no longer have to get tested for COVID-19. You're clear. You're good to go. John Rahm, obviously, was not fully vaccinated. John Rahm, in fact, got his first COVID-19 shot, his first vaccination shot, earlier this week after he knowingly came in contact with someone who was positive for COVID-19. And guess what happened? He contracted COVID-19. Stunning, I know. So anybody who wants to scream about John Rahm being treated unfairly by the PGA Tour. Listen, getting vaccinated, yes, it's a personal decision, but when it comes to the PGA Tour, when it comes to the NFL, where assistant coaches aren't going to be let on the field if they're not vaccinated this year, it's business. It's a business decision. So you can't just start transversing your rules, start changing your rules because someone couldn't get their act together and get vaccinated. And this has nothing to do with the social aspect, the political aspect of the COVID-19 vaccine, Coquel. This has everything to do with you want the perks and the benefits of the PGA Tour. You want to be able to compete. The PGA Tour said you have to do this in order to accomplish this, in order to avoid this. And John Rahm didn't do any of those things. And for that, John Rahm had to withdraw. And you know what? Them's the breaks. Well, that's the same thing as people who don't want to get vaccinated saying it's my choice. And he had a choice. He did have a choice. The choice, But if you choose not to get vaccinated on the PGA Tour, you're subject to what happened mm-hmm. to happen. I mean, when it comes to sports especially, good things are happening if you get vaccinated, no matter how you feel about it from a social realm. John Rahm could have avoided all of this if back on March 24th, or any of the month of May, he decided that he was going to get fully vaccinated. Then he probably would have won the memorial. Did the PGA Tour handle John Rahm correctly? Or was it unfair to not have him play by himself on Sunday? And for me, I don't see why he should get special privilege for not doing something that players have been told, if you do get your two shots, get your vaccine, what if it's Johnson & Johnson? You're good to go. You don't have to test anymore. To me, John Rahm is the only person to blame for John Rahm not playing Sunday and winning the Memorial. That's, I, I, I feel like that's the common sense way to look at it. And you're not even saying that he should have done one or the other. Let's be clear about that. And, and, and I think he should have gotten vaccinated. I think everyone should get vaccinated. And I've had these conversations with people. My own wife isn't vaccinated. We have these conversations at home. So I get it's a delicate conversation. I am fully vaccinated. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying if you want the rewards of what you get when you are vaccinated, then you have to be vaccinated to receive those I just, rewards. I don't get any it's part of the rules. Other than you don't want him to have extreme symptoms from COVID-19, I don't get any other sympathy towards John Rahm. I, I cannot sympathize with his plight because he had the opportunity for quite a while now to not have to go through that plight so why should the pga tour bend the rules just because he had the lead after the third round why should the pga tour bend the rules for someone who didn't follow the rules who also during this time frame from the moment he came in contact with this person to when he tested positive we don't know when he was contagious in that area so he also not only is he hurting himself by not having the tournament he may have put other people at risk throughout that entire time frame when he didn't need to so again, feel badly for John Rahm, but understand John Rahm has John Rahm to blame. And that's it for our opening drive presented by Tire Kingdom on a Honda Classic Live Saturday here on ESPN 106.3. We'll discuss Rahm and a whole lot more with our next guest, our golf insider from Global Golf Post, Sean Fairholm. He'll talk Rahm 
He'll talk what ended up happening Sunday at the Memorial, but also give us one of his famous previews, our, his famous major preview, and it's Tory Pines this time around. It's the U.S. Open, which is next weekend in the San Diego area. Sean Fairholm coming up. I'm Ken Levick at Honda Classic Live on ESPN 106.3. Man, the last couple of weeks in golf have been some of the busiest that I can remember. It has been every day some brand new news, some controversy, and wow, what a week it has been. We'll try and recap it all with the man who talks the best in golf here on Honda Classic Live every weekend, Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It is our golf insider here on Honda Classic Live, Sean Fairholm of Global Golf Post, globalgolfpost.com. Read all of his work. It is excellent, especially his feature work and he jumps on with us as always on Saturday morning and obviously the place we start with uh, Sean is John Rahm. He had a uh, a handful of shots in tow. He was at the top of the leaderboard after round three at the Memorial and then as he is coming off of the green he finds out that he's tested positive for COVID-19. There's a lot to unpack from this. First things first uh, the PGA Tour and the officials at Muirfield, the way that they handled it in telling him what did you think about that i thought it was interesting um i mean he didn't really have any privacy right there off of the 18th green but i do understand the fact that he was covid positive telling him up right off the 18th green may have may have made sense he did shake his uh you know his his partner's uh, hand right on the yeah. 18th green which i found interesting maybe they should have grabbed him before that although i know uh Cantlay and scheffler have already had covid but um yeah it was interesting i don't know if there was a great way for them to to do that um but they, they had to tell him somehow and it was uh very, very unfortunate to, for a golf tournament that he was going to win, that he was going to pick up $1.6 million, that all the all the FedEx Cup bonus points that and, and money that come uh, come at the end of the year. So really, it probably cost him somewhere in the area of about you know two and a half to three million dollars to lose this. So his reaction was uh, was understandable, and I know a lot of people are upset about it, but. Uh, you know, the rules are the rules, and uh, the protocol could definitely be debated, but, um, you know, he, he kind of knew what was what, what the risk was throughout the week, and uh, it's hard to, hard to uh, you know, take it if, you, if you're him, but that, that was a risk, and uh, it really came back to bite him there right at the very end of that week. Yeah, and it, this is, and I know that there was a lot of backlash towards the PGA Tour, uh, and uh, there were even some blaming the CDC. But the fact of the matter is, to me, uh, he lives in Arizona. And from March 24th on, he's been eligible to receive uh, COVID vaccinations. And in fact, he only got his first COVID shot after he was in contact with someone earlier that week who had been COVID positive. And only then did he act. And presumably, that is then the reason he became COVID positive. Like To me, it's unfortunate for John Rahm, and you feel bad, but the person that should be blamed is John Rahm for how all this went down. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if you if you look at it, uh, a little over 50% of the PGA Tour right now is, is vaccinated, and I think this is going to probably force a lot more players yeah. into getting vaccinated. I think that's that, there's no doubt about that. Um, he, he should have got vaccinated before if he, if he didn't want to deal with the possibility of, of being in, in, in the contact tracing protocol, and that's 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 the risk that he ran, and uh, I think it was unfortunate. But it's, I mean, it's understandable for uh, for him to be that upset. But that that's what happened, and um, I, I'm sure you know he's probably even more upset the fact that he's going. He may have to miss the first couple of days of U.S. Open week, given his history at Torrey Pines and how well that he plays that golf course. And uh, he, he's definitely probably one of the top few picks for for that tournament. And he, he must be uh, fuming that his his preparation will maybe be cut short or altered in any way let me ask you this as someone who played the game competitively if the decision was made to have john rom play by himself on sunday say uh, the pga tour did make an exception is it more of a benefit or a detriment to play by yourself as opposed to a pairing I think it's really hard. I think you get into a rhythm when you when you're playing with other playing competitors, and and I, I think it was uh, it, it's just a, a, a risk because what if he hits a drive into the gallery, or you just don't really know where he's going to go. I know there are a lot of people saying why why couldn't he play with a mask on? Why couldn't he play alone? I just I, I think at that point you know the PGA Tour has has, has liability concerns mm-hmm. here. They're they're not just you know running a, a Sunday foursome or something. Uh, I, I know that. 
people want common sense to prevail, but I think the PGA Tour, th- their hands are tied here to a certain extent. They have to follow CDC guidelines. For him to play on his own uh, would have been pretty pretty risky. I, I still think he probably would have won the golf tournament with, without any any problem. The six shot lead and the way that he was he was putting, uh, the the best putting performance for him since the 2020 uh, Farmers Insurance Open. Uh, so almost 16 months, uh, the past 16 months, that's that's his best putting performance. Uh, just changed to a new putter. Looks really really good. Looks very dangerous for uh, for the for the summer to pick up a few more wins. But uh, I, playing by himself, I'm sure he, I'm sure he probably could have handled it. Those guys are. are are pros, but I would I would prefer to play playing partners at that point. I think it's kind of the point too, where when it comes to John Rahm and Mirfield, we just need to expect weird things are going to happen because it was last year when he actually won that same tournament that he found out as he exited 18 green on Sunday that he was being penalized and it didn't cost him the tournament, uh, but it did make for some awkward national television uh, moments on CBS. There's just something with Rahm and Mirfield. Yeah, that was that was. I forgot about that. Yeah, he he gave that uh, that pretty surprised look off of the 18 green. He's going to be expecting uh, bad news off of that 18 green moving forward. You better you better be careful. <laughs> yeah, it it is bizarre, but uh, that also does bring us to how the tournament actually did turn out, and what a weird Sunday it was without John Rahm because he did have that six shot lead on Saturday. But Patrick Cantlay ends up winning in a playoff over Colin Morikawa. A couple of things off of this. One, uh, a win that Patrick Cantlay absolutely needed. And two, Colin Morikawa now starting to get back to playing some really good golf as of late. Yeah, Patrick Cantlay has been MIA for a little while. He, he missed the cut at the Players, missed the cut at the Masters, missed the cut at Heritage. And we were all kind of wondering what was going on. I mean, there's, there's been a lot that has been made of his, of his back over the years. Um, you know, for those who don't know, he has to get up about two, three hours just before his uh, before his tea time, before his uh, before his warm up session, just to be able to you know, get his back in shape to be able to play. I thought I thought he really uh, had it had a fantastic final round. Um, you know, if you take John Rahm out, I, I thought Patrick Cantlay was just very consistent throughout the entire golf tournament and deserved to win. Um, another guy who. Uh, we, we talk all the time about about his putting. When he when he does putt well, he's he's usually in contention to win a golf tournament. And uh, Colin, Colin Morikawa, I just thought a, a little bit that that fade, that trusty fade, a, a couple of falls down the stretch, a couple of uh, a, a couple of times where that fade did not fade, and uh, that that was really kind of the difference in the golf tournament. A couple of, of key shots down the stretch, and, and Patrick Cantlay was just a, l- a little bit more consistent. But uh, what a what a back and forth Sunday, though. Really, for uh, you could have made a case for either of them on. On, on, for, on several moments on that back nine, we can't like just had a, a little bit more late in that golf tournament. Yeah, you uh, feel badly for John Rahm, but the fact he wasn't there made for a much more interesting Sunday than it probably would have been if uh, John Rahm did play on uh, on Sunday. Sean Fairholm, Global Golf Post, globalgolfpost.com, our golf insider here on Honda Classic Live. I'm Ken Levicka, and uh, we had talked about it. I had mentioned it uh, as we wrapped the show last week that uh, Ricky Fowler was in line for for a pretty good finish at Memorial. And sure enough, he finishes tied for 11th, then finishes one shot away from qualifying for the U.S. Open next weekend at Torrey Pines. That obviously hurts, but I got to think over the last couple of weeks, uh, Ricky Fowler's got to be feeling a lot better about his game and his momentum here compared to what we've seen in the previous months. Oh, definitely. It's those prescription glasses. I think I, I'm not joking. That could yeah. be a real a real factor here. It's cr- crazy to say that for a professional golfer uh, that that you know. But he couldn't see anything really beyond 150 yards when it was uh, when the light wasn't very good. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that he hadn't, hasn't gotten LASIK or something to this point. But I uh, know he he definitely has to be feeling a, a lot better. Um, you know, how about signing all those autographs yep. after after missing uh, the qualifying of the U.S. Open? It just shows that. He is a, he is a really good guy. I mean, I, I think he he's kind of at where where Jordan Spieth was at maybe earlier this year around January or February. Where we, we kind of saw a few signs. Uh, we're seeing some signs from Ricky, and uh, I mean, this is a guy who who for six consecutive years finished in the top twelve in the world. I mean, you don't just go from that to being outside the top one hundred and 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 falling that far and, and just never coming back. Uh, I mean. He's he's going to be back, and I think we're going to see him 
probably win a tournament this summer or at least have a top another top finish because he, he really looks uh, looks solid in all, all facets of his game. It really it's been the putting that's let him down this this year. I mean he he's he's always been one of the best putters in the world and and this year he's uh, he's he's been way down in the kind of the bottom quarter of uh, of players on on the PGA tour and that has has turned around a massive way the past couple of weeks and I think I think that's that's the key difference for him is, is if he can putt. Uh, it's, it's it hasn't been as much ball striking although his swing swing changes have got the attention i think the putter is, is the key for him this weekend and before we get into our u.s open preview here congaree is the uh the host site hosting its first ever pga tour event and what a backstory this has built by billionaires and this actually is a course that is meant as a a teaching tool primarily what this is one of the the more fascinating new venues on tour now my colleague ron green jr actually got got the chance to go out there and, and play congaree and there are no team markers you just kind of tee up in the ground wherever you want you, you just kind of play however many holes you want it's it's very much there, there are no real, real formalities to it at all and they're doing some fantastic work as you mentioned in, in, in junior golf one of the really bizarre kind of stories in terms of the last five to ten years of, of golf courses being built uh but this is a a, a great facility it's in the middle of nowhere you know in, in south carolina in southern south carolina the, the, there's not really any housing on site uh, i know they they struggled with the, with getting a good field uh this week uh, brooks and, and dj are there but haven't been able to really you know get a, get a lot of the other great players with it being the week before the u.s open but it would be great to see another pga tour event uh, come back there maybe with a different date because I think they, they really could get a great deal. The course is a really, really awesome test, a really cool course, and I, I hope they're able to, to get back there sometime soon. So Congaree this weekend, but then we know a lot about next weekend. Torrey Pines, the U.S. Open, and we have arrived at the third major of the year. And I guess we'll, we'll, we'll start by asking this. Uh, Dustin Johnson can't miss the cut in the first three majors of 2021 can he <laughs> it would be a shock i think i think if if you're looking at just pure golf course this one probably sets up better for him than the other ones that he's played even though Kiowa's in south carolina and he's a south carolinian i think he, he would probably pick tory over the other two but uh, yeah i mean you'd have to think that he's going to play a lot better we've we, we saw a little spark from him at congary in round one we got a little bit of a of a dj sighting uh after he had really and, you know, no top tens uh, since February, all the way back to, to Genesis and when he won in Saudi. So really, he, it's been a, a def, definitely a tough road for him. And I think the knee has really been bothering him as well. And there, there have been some some injury, you know, rumors, reports. Uh, but I, I think Tory is probably uh, much more in his wheelhouse. We're going to have thick rough. We're going to have narrow fairways. One of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world. I think that probably suits his eye a lot better than uh, a lot better than you know kiowa or some of the other major venues to you what are the major challenges involved with tory pines you know so they're not going to play it as long as they did in uh, in, in 2008 i think in 2008 it was somewhere around 76 7700 yards which is which is crazy for that golf course they're going to play it a little bit shorter somewhere in the area maybe 73 7400 yards and i i mean it's just a course that a lot like wingfoot last year i mean if you're not in the fairway, you're going to be just absolutely scrambling to make pars. Uh, but if you are in the fairway, I think they, I think guys are going to have opportunities. So, um, I mean, I, I really do think that uh, with how narrow some of these fairways are, uh, you're just going to have to be accurate off the tee because they've really grown the rough, rough up thick. A lot of long par fours at Torrey Pines. What about the, the par five 13th? Maybe the hardest par five on the PGA Tour uh players are going to be walking off of the 13th happy with par on a par five which you almost never see in the modern game i'm, I'm excited for it i think it's going to be a, a really difficult test and uh i think players are going to be pretty happy with, with shooting around par each day I don't, I don't think we're going to get too deep into the red numbers i know you said that you like john rom's putter who knows what uh, his COVID-positive diagnosis is going to do to his first couple of days of preparation for the U.S. Open. We are fully expecting him in the field. And I know when we talk majors, you consistently say the name John Rahm. Uh, 
Tom. Uh, all of those things that I just mentioned, what do you think now as we sit here on Saturday morning and the Saturday before uh, Tory Pines in the U.S. Open? What are John Rahm's chances? I think he has. I think he has great chances. I mean, I was looking at his track record at Torrey Pines uh, a couple of days ago. I think it goes something like win T seven, T five, T eight, third. <laughs> I mean, he, he just loves that golf course. I mean, it's hard. To, it really would be hard to uh, pick against him, knowing that he, knowing how much he loves that golf course. Of course, they they play the North Course for one of the fir- the, the first two rounds, but he, he's something like. You know, 40 under par or somewhere in that category uh, on the par fives at Torrey Pines in his career. Uh, he, he really has terrorized the, those those par fives. Uh, I believe they're going to be playing six, uh, which is normally a par five for the farmers as a par four. So it's going to be a par 71. But uh, he, I, I, I love him this week. I, and I also think one thing to keep in mind is that these are not the greatest, smoothest greens in the world. This is a, a, a surface POA that is that is not you know known for being incredibly smooth uh, whereas at, at Kiowa I mean I think the greens were some of the best that you know Tony Finau called them some of the best that he'd, he'd seen uh, you know all, all, all season these are not going to be that great so maybe look for a guy like how about Corey Connors the guy who hits the ball incredibly well but has a little bit of bulky putter that that could be a, a key this week it, you know a guy who's maybe not a great putter maybe able to get away with that a little bit more this week than, uh, than than in other weeks, but Tony Finau would definitely fall into that uh, category as well. He has an amazing uh, track record at Torrey Pines. Finished second this past uh, this past January and has played incredibly well there in the past. So, a couple other guys to look out for. The snippy rivalry continues between Brooks Kepka, who has shot a couple of great zingers out at Brooks uh, at uh, at uh, the, the man that that he really really apparently dislikes Bryson DeChambeau and that's happened on social media over the uh, the last couple of days but between those two and we'll find out Monday if they're actually going to be paired together in the opening two rounds at the U.S. Open but who does this course suit better Brooks Koepka or Bryson DeChambeau? I think any major venue suits Brooks better at this point if you look at his track <laughs> record but <laughs> I don't know I mean you, I guess you would technically you would probably say Bryson just because of his length. Uh, I mean Brooks is Brooks is also very long. Uh, I, I was I was actually I know Brooks missed the cut at Concrete, but I was encouraged by some of the things that you said that he's he's kind of bending down and being able to read putts normally now, and he he, he thinks the D is in a, a really good place, um, and that he he kind of lost focus at Concrete because he was he was looking towards the U.S. Open. Uh, that's the Brooks that we know is the guy who doesn't really care about regular PGA Tour events and prioritizes the majors. Mm-hmm. So I, I would I would put a red circle around his name. I think he's going to be right there. I'm, I'm sure Louis, Louis Ustazen will be right there again because he always seems to be play, playing well in majors too. But, I, yeah, I would probably take Brooks over Bryson just because I don't think we've really seen the – the consistent track record out of out of Bryson, um, you know, he has the win last last uh, year at the U.S. Open, which was very impressive. But we haven't really seen him deliver consistently in majors yet. But we'll we'll have to see if, if he's able to, to perform uh, next week at Torrey. So we thought that this was going to be the farewell to Phil Mickelson at the U.S. Open, and now obviously that timeline has increased by who knows how many years after he won the PGA Championship for quite some time, even before the PGA. Championship, uh, you had been telling me that I just I don't think that Phil matches up well with Tory Pines. What are we going to see from Phil? Is there a chance at the U.S. Open for Phil? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you would ask me before the PGA, I would have laughed you off and said he's going to miss the cut by five strokes. And uh, and now we, we saw what he did at, did at Kiowa on a course where it's it's also you know pretty demanding off the tee, and you have to take care of you know you have to really manage how you go about that golf course. But I mean, I just. It would be it would be a total stunner for him to be in contention. Uh, it would be a true the world is, is collapsing around us moment if you were to actually go out and, and win this U.S. Open. Um, I can't imagine it, but I don't think anyone could have imagined Kiowa either. So um, I, I guess we'll I guess we'll all find out together whether he can whether he can do it. I, my money is on him probably missing the cut after you know the high of the high of the PGA. It, it just feels like the PGA was more of a one-off than it was, uh, you know, a consistent uh, performance. But uh, I mean, he, he, he's always up for surprising. So I guess, we'll, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> 
Uh, who does your gut tell you? I guess three names. Who does your gut tell you is going to be right there on Sunday at Torrey Pines? I, I guess I'll take um, you know the few that I've mentioned. I, I think John Rahm. I mean, it would be really crazy to think that he's not at least going to be in the top 10 of this right yeah. i mean I, I think it's hard to believe i'm probably going to fade a couple of guys uh jordan spieth i think uh can compete but it's not really a golf course that i i, I really love him on so i'm going to go back to, to tony finau and Corey connors uh two of the really the top players in the world who have a great track record on this course who are great ball strikers i think you i just don't think there, there's going to be really any room for for faking it around um i know that you know that you know for most pga tour events you can't really fake it around but this one is just it's just a place where you really you, you have to you can't scrape it around there you've got to be you've got to show up you've got to hit fairways you've got to be very solid off the tee and, and especially you know in your approach game so i'll probably take those those three guys and i think we're going to see a lot of big names miss the cut because i just if you're just a little bit off i think it's i think it's really going to punish a lot of guys i think we're you know you could see jt dustin johnson some of these guys maybe maybe not come out and, and play as well um i, I think we're, we're we're going to see maybe a little bit of a mixed leaderboard where you have a couple of big names but then we're going to see a lot of surprises on the top of the leaderboard too because uh it, it's just not a course that uh, really lets up at any point what did you make of Tiger Woods turning down NBC's uh, inquiry into whether or not he wanted to be part of the broadcast team? I think you, you have to you have to reach out to him, and I think that was great. You know, you know, going back to Tory, it was such a historic moment when he when he won there in two thousand eight, one of the great you know golf tournaments of all time. So it makes a lot of sense to go back to him, but at the same time, I think. If he says yes to that request, there are probably you know fifty other ones in line saying, "Hey, why can't you do this for us?" And I, I get it if I'm him and I'm and I'm trying to recover from an accident. And I mean, it, it it makes sense. It's it's unfortunate he couldn't do it. I would have loved to seen him, you know, voice over an intro or be a part of the broadcast team or do something. But uh, unfortunately. I think he's just in a state right now where it's uh, it's just not possible. Yeah, and that's what Dan Hicks said as well, that uh, he felt like Tiger didn't want to be a sideshow to the entire thing. And you're right, as soon as you do something for someone, then the line starts uh, when you're Tiger Woods. Let's finish with this. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau reportedly having his caddy identify fans at Muirfield that were yelling, Go Brooksy! at Bryson uh, and having them escorted out of the tournament. The level of lame to that is what? <laughs> as high as you can go. Yeah. Isn't this the, the one thing that you shouldn't do when, when someone is picking on you? You never go and, and try to uh, you know make a big deal of it and show that you're bothered. You try to ignore it. That's always what you're, what you're taught to do. And he goes out and, and, uh, and really kind of makes a big deal. But I... I thought they both kind of, you know, the, the feud is is definitely good for golf. Don't get me wrong, but I thought they both made a little bit of a misstep. Bryson, as you mentioned, kind of taking things into his own hands and, and getting having fans uh, kicked off, but also Brooks with the, uh, you know, the activation having getting Michelob Ultra involved to uh, to you know kind of semi encourage some fans to, uh, to to be kind of heckling and things like that. I, I thought maybe. Those weren't their their finest hours. Uh, I think let's keep the let's keep it a little more civil and keep it more on on Twitter rather than uh, you know impacting the competition itself. <laughs> yeah, and and the way things are going, hopefully they stay out of the boxing ring uh, because that seems to be the new trend now is the uh, celebrity boxing. I'd prefer that not happen and just see them play together at the U.S. Open. Uh, Sean Fairholm, Global Golf Post. Read all of his work at globalgolfpost.com. Listen to him every Saturday here on Honda Classic Live as our golf insider. Sean, really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the first two days of the U.S. Open. We'll talk to you Saturday for round three, okay? All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. And I'm Ken Levicka, Honda Classic Live on ESPN 106.3. The only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast is right here on ESPN 106.3. It is every Saturday morning. I am Ken Levicka, and uh, we always, always, always love talking with this man. And when we do, it's typically because it's a special occasion. And I would say that this is a very special occasion. We are coming off of Honda Classic Cares Week, where the Honda Classic raised $5.1 million that was distributed across 100 
philanthropic organizations throughout South Florida, and a $1.2 million grant to the Nicholas Children's Hospital Foundation. I mean, what incredible work in a pandemic year. And to discuss it is the executive director of the Honda Classic. It is Ken Kennerly with us here on ESPN 106.3. First off, and I mean this sincerely, Ken, congratulations. And I know you guys work hard, and I know you take a lot of pride in Honda Classic Cares and what it does for the community. But I have to imagine not even you in your wildest dreams as things were shutting down last March thought that you could hit $5.1 million. Well, good morning, Ken, and uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the uh, the time this morning, and you know, obviously the, the great comments. Um, you pretty much summed it up, which is awesome. I mean, we uh, we just came off a phenomenal week, which, uh, you know, obviously was a result of a phenomenal tournament uh, from a charitable standpoint, which, as you well know, that's how we're all measured on the PGA Tour is when we get back to charity. And yeah, I mean, $5.1 million. If you would have told me that uh, last September, I would have thought you, uh, you were on something, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it all started with the tour opening up late June and, you know, going on with no fans, as you know, and no Pro-Am. And then slowly the PGA Tour introduced the Pro-Am back. And then, you know, obviously earlier this year with Phoenix and then ourselves and the other Florida events, limited, very, very limited fans. But... You know, we uh, we did everything we could. We we uh, strategically uh, designed a, a a really good course out there, as you know, with the uh, the the, uh, the suites, hospitality suites, everything with the proper protocols in place, and it it all turned out really really well. But we're just so fortunate. And you know, this this week was very very special. We had our celebration of philanthropy at the Pelican Club on Thursday evening, and it was special. We had almost two hundred people there. We probably had. I'm going to guess maybe 40 charities represented can that came out and, wow. and, uh, and enjoyed a nice evening. And, uh, it's just a culmination of a lot of hard work, uh, led by, you know, our great tournament director, Andrew George and the rest of our team. And it was just a, a real, real special uh, week for us to celebrate philanthropy, uh, to celebrate a very emotional year. Uh, I started the evening off Thursday night with uh, a little interview with Matt Jones. Obviously, he was a little emotional having won the Honda Classic and, you know, his second PGA Tour win. And, you know, it just kind of it, it set the stage for the rest of the evening. But obviously, as we reflect back on everything we've done, it's it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, we've had 15 years now. I can't believe it. 15 years since we took over this tournament at PJ National, and you know, perhaps the Rory Tiger duel coming down the stretch. Uh, Ricky winning one year, Justin Thomas winning. Uh, this this goes up there. You know if not number one, very close to it because of everything we had to endure. So very, very special. Thank you. Hanging out with Ken Kennerly, executive director of the Honda Classic here on Honda Classic Live. And I think context is important here as well because we can sit here and say $5.1 million all we want, but I also think that it becomes that much more incredible when it is told that this is the second best outcome the second most money raised by honda classic cares uh in its its existence and so when you look at that and juxtapose it against the pandemic i mean that is wild so i do want to ask you as you're having these difficult conversations with some of of the loyal honda classic sponsors and you have to tell them that hey it's not going to look the same the activation's not going to be the same you make some adjustments you hope you can get them in but it's not going to be like it typically is and the discussion about the charitable portion comes up what were some of these conversations like well you know it's a great point and we had a lot of those as you can imagine uh, but I, i've got to tell you this community rallied i mean you know the, the businesses the our spectators our ambassadors couture club everybody rallied uh, for the most part those businesses that were able to either make a contribution like fpl they made a hundred thousand dollar contribution to our charity on top of their contract tire kingdom a founders club partner I mean, we, we were unable to develop the to deliver either the assets that they had in their multi-year agreement but they stuck with their contract in full we had so many companies like that that literally said to us well we know if, if there's ever a, a year where you're really going to need us, this is it. Because when you have 10,000 fans per day as opposed to 50,000 fans per day, you know, they got it. And this community uh, and everybody 
the corporate side to the individual side were there for us. And, you know, frankly, the only businesses that were unable to do anything with us, Ken, were those businesses that, you know, obviously had mandates from, from corporate headquarters. But for the most part, all the local businesses were there. And, you know, look, 5.1 million, you said it. I mean, it was the second highest ever. Last year, we were 5.35. It's the third year in a row we were over $5 million in charitable giving. So that was another record for us. 55 total of the Honda process. Nicholas 1.2, you mentioned that we're now over $10 million in gifting to the Nicholas Children's Healthcare Foundation. Our birdies program of the 5.1 hour Honda birdies for children program is 3.1 million. So that obviously was about 60% of it. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And it's just, it's a, it just shows you how, how great these, this community is that we live in to, to step out support us and do it in such difficult times so you know overall it's just a huge win all the way around and you know again surprised everybody as we were uh as we were putting the final numbers together. <laughs> well, I I know that uh, you always have high expectations, but I have to imagine now, and you guys like a challenge there at the Honda Classic, but the uh, the bar has been raised for next year with Honda Classic Cares after seeing what you were able to do this time around. Well, no doubt. And, you know, uh, uh, we had one of the senior executives from Honda there with us on Thursday night for our celebration of philanthropy, and he said a few words. And, you know, Honda... While they're in it, you know, obviously it's sponsorship. It's not an inexpensive sponsorship, but they're really in it for the philanthropy. I mean, you know, American Honda is a company that's really at the core of that company is philanthropy. So that's, you know, 40 years. They're going to be 41 years next year, the longest-running title sponsor on the tour. Again, it's not just about the branding around the tournament itself. It's about the philanthropy. So they were absolutely thrilled that we could get Nicholas 1.2 million. They were thrilled that we, you know, eclipsed 5 million once again. And, you know, the impact that our event has on our community and the, well, the economic impact alone normally, you know, in normal times is, you know, 50 to $60 million. You know, this year a little bit less, which obviously we didn't have as many people out there, but it's still televised around the world. It's showcasing Palm Beach County. We live in the best place on the planet, obviously. And, you know, it, it's just, it, it's just a, a magical, magical week for us. Uh, and, uh, you know, one in which that we will never, ever forget but, you know, we, we rallied together. You guys in the media were supportive of us, as you always are, but even more so this year. I mean, it's 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 a great team effort all the way around. Couple more here with Ken Kennerly, the executive director of the Honda Classic. I'm Ken Levicka. This is Honda Classic Live on ESPN 1063. You can catch us talking golf every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Now that we're in mid June, what sort of things are you and Andrew George and everybody at the Honda Classic? Where are you at right now, just in terms of of tournament and what the course of action is uh, this time of year? Well, we're, you know, as we always do, I mean, we're, we use the existing year tournament, so this past tournament is a way to sell 22. So, you know, we anticipate a full 100% turnout, uh, you know, full full bleachers, bath, hospitality suites, everything, Legends Club, Champagne, everything. So we're, we're pushing hard. I mean, we're out there right now selling. We've got some multi-year contracts still in place. Some of our contracts from this year that had to get deferred or adjusted. A lot of those companies pushed the 21 contract into 22. Um, so we're hard at it. I mean, we're anticipating a, a full show in 22. The new dates are going to be beneficial for us, as you guys have reported. Yep. Uh, we're going to be the first stop on the Florida swing, February 21 to 27. It's going to be, again, if you look back at the history of the Honda Classic, at least under our management, our best fields have come when we're the leadoff event of the Florida swing right after Los Angeles. So they're going to go from LA, come right to us. Mexico is now uh, no longer a WGC, and that's going to go into late April. So we will kick off the Florida swing, and it'll go Bay Hill in the Players' Championship. So, you know, for those on the line that are listening, I mean, you understand all too well that golf in Florida is a lot different than it is on the West Coast. So these guys are they're gunning for the Players' Championship. It's, it's a, you know, obviously just about a major so they, they're going to come to Florida. They're going to get used to the Bermuda grass. Our grasses are exactly the same as they have up in Sawgrass. So you know, a lot of players are going to come off the West Coast, get started at the Honda Classic, and move right into the Players' Championship. So we can't have a better date for our event going forward. So everything everything really is looking to a, a very, very successful 2022. And, and 
including, of course, we anticipate great charitable numbers as well. And uh, I do want to finish with this, since you did mention the West Coast. Uh, how are you going to be consuming the U.S. Open uh, next weekend, and do you have a, a pick for the U.S. Open? Well, uh, well, first of all, uh, you know, how great was it Phil Mickelson won oh, the PGA? Awesome. And I bring that up because not only was that a magical win, uh, you know, win for the ages, as Jim Nance says, or whoever said it, um, you know, that reminded me of Nicholas, obviously, in 86 when he won the Masters. I bring that up not because of the past, but look, Phil's from the San Diego area. He loves Torrey Ponds. He hasn't played it particularly well probably in the last 10 years. Uh, you know, it's, it's a new, not new, but Reese Young redid the course a few years ago, and it's a really, really a bear. And if these guys miss that fairway, it's going to be a difficult task for sure. But I'd love to see Phil have a good tournament um, out there. But in terms of a winner, you know, I, I haven't honestly really thought much about it, Ken, other than it's going to be somebody that's going to keep the ball in play. Yep. I don't think we're going to have a, a Bryson DeChambeau hit it 400 yards and try to get it up and down like he did a week, but I don't think we're going to have a bomber winning the U.S. Open this year. Yep, I think that's a good call. I uh, After talking with Sean Fairholm at Global Golf Post, I kind of like Brooks Kepka's chances, and if John Rahm can get a full weekend, he's played well there traditionally as well. And so, uh, well, I'm looking forward to it, though. I mean, you you and I have talked about it. Torrey Pines is just, it is beautiful, hallowed golf ground, and it always feels bigger when it's hosting a major, right? Well, it does. I mean, you know, those views, I mean, second to maybe Pebble Beach or first to Pebble Beach, who knows? But, I mean, it, it's... I've been out there, Ken, and it's it's absolutely magical sitting there staring at the ocean. Um, you know, again, look at where we live on the East Coast, and you know, the next best place on the planet is the West Coast overlooking <laughs> the Pacific. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a great week, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a test. I mean, we all think about remember the uh, Tiger Woods Rocco Mediate showdown yep. out there. Uh, I think that I think we're going to have something equal, maybe not equal, but I think we're going to have something pretty special. Ken, congratulations, speaking of special, for what you and everybody at the Honda Classic were able to raise. Again, $5.1 million through Honda Classic Cares, 100 philanthropic organizations in South Florida receiving portions of uh, of that money, including the $1.2 million grant to the Nicholas Children's Hospital Foundation. Uh, Ken, excellent work, excellent job. I always love talking about this because this time of year you always have great things uh, to discuss when when it comes to Honda Classic Cares, and this year especially. So congrats again, and have a great U.S. Open weekend, okay? Thanks, Bob. You too. And again, I, I mean this sincerely. You guys are fantastic partners. Ken, thank you not for everything you do for us. It is absolutely our pleasure. Ken Kennerly, Honda Classic Executive Director, back with more after this Honda Classic Live on ESPN 106.3.